Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Uh, Today's episode is uh, the first of its kind. It is actually, we're doing a continuation of uh, the last episode. If you listen to the last episode with the amazing uh, Mark Nepo, uh, an inspired writer, uh, New York Times bestselling author of the Book of Awakening. Uh, recent works also include More Together Than Alone. Um, an amazing, amazing author. Folks, if you listen to the last interview, I know that you were inspired. And you know, honestly, I felt like we, we dove so deep in the last interview and, and I was feeling like there was so much more I wanted to ask Mark in terms of specifically the creative process, the process of creating, the process of art, the process of writing. Personally, also being someone that writes books, and I don't particularly enjoy the process of writing. I love the, uh, the end result. Uh, there's so much I wanted to ask Mark, and I know there's many of you listening in who are creators, writers, singers, directors, and uh, just, just dive into this man's heart. He's, he's a wealth of soulfulness and wisdom, and he has a new book that has come out, Drinking from the River of Light, A Life of Expression, which is also about uh, expression and art and creativity. And so I think it's perfect. This is the first uh, in, in the Soul Talk episodes where I brought someone on back to back. I think it just goes to show uh, who Mark is. Mr. Mark Nepo, welcome back again. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your kindness there. I'm happy to be back and, and to explore further. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for coming back and, you know, begun delving into your, into your new book, Drinking from the River of Light. Folks, by the way, if you haven't read Drinking from the River of Light, uh, it's really like drinking from the River of Light. You know, I really felt so much richness and soulfulness uh, through this book. And, and Mark, as I was saying, you know, I felt like, wow, we, we covered so much in part one, but uh, I wanted to really focus today uh, on the topic of creating and creativity and writing and that process and get your feedback from your wealth of experience of writing and being a poet and a teacher sure, uh, and just see what you have to share. And so what, what is like, when we talk about creativity, cause I know there's a lot of people that, that sometimes think, Oh, I'm not really a creative person. That's for the artist, you know, that's the person has to have a gift. And so I would love to hear from you. Like, how do you, how do you define, how do you see creativity? What is, creativity. I mean, it seems like yeah. this ethereal thing. I mean, what do you mean? What do you, what do you mean when you say creativity? Well, well, for me, it's broadened and deepened and over my life and, you know, much more than a subset of people using their gifts to create artifacts that we consider beautiful. So it's, it's, turned out to be much more than that so I would and and you know what threw me into a deeper uh, a deeper wrestling and being carried by that was going through my cancer experience which I think we touched on last time in my th- I'm yes, 68 yes. so this was in my 30s um, in which you know I really was thrown into using my expression my life force my creativity to help me get to the next day. And in that process, so I've come to see that it's the healthy expression of our life force that is really Mm -hmm. creativity. 
that which, and so one of the fundamental kind of uh, starting points in the new book, as you know, is, you know, you and I are breathing right now. Well, we can't suddenly yes. say, well, I think I'll, I'll just e- inhale for this hour. <laughs> you know, that's not going to work. And the way uh-huh. the heart breathes, the heart breathes, it inhales by feeling and perceiving, and it must exhale through some form of expression, regardless of the quality of that expression. If I have, so that's where, as you know, in the book, we're talking about the formal arts, but we're talking about art in a very deep and broad sense that, you know, if you, you know, you could collect stamps, you could uh, be devoted to taking apart car engines, you could be a gardener, you know, anything that you devote yourself to completely and thoroughly will help the heart be healthy and connected to the life force that comes in us and must come out of us. And so chances are, if we immerse ourselves, chances are we'll do good work. You know, the way a flame will, it will you know, it's, it's burning, but it automatically, when it burns thoroughly, it gives off heat and light. Well, uh, if, we are, if we are thorough, I find that when I'm thorough, and that means holding nothing back, giving my complete attention and being to whatever is before me, not only do I probably do good work, but that process, whatever I think I'm creating, it's creating and shaping me. So we, we are created for devoting ourselves. And I think that um, what, you know, that these things, our ambitions, our goals, our dreams, they're all wonderful. I think we need them. But I know for me in my life, I've been taught and through my own devices held on to them too tightly because what's mm. more important is that they're kindling for the aliveness of our heart and our soul. And that's what the life of expression keeps us close to. Mm. Beautiful. You know, when, when you sit down, Mark, to create something, you know, whether it's, uh, let's say, let's just start with the practically, let's say your book, you know, your new book, which is about creativity and expression. So when you sit and you've written quite a few books. And so when you sit down to, to write, what is, I'm curious as a writer myself, what is your process? Because, you know, sometimes like I don't enjoy the process of writing, you know, and <laughs> I think like many, many, many I don't know if you enjoy the process, but like many folks, you know, when you sit down, I mean, there's this resistance is like, uh, I can do it tomorrow. Uh, there's this resistance of, you know, it's somehow finding anything else to do other than just sit down and write and create. And, and you know, we think it should be this beautiful experience. But for me, it, sometimes it feels like pulling teeth, you know, and, and I catch away for a second. And, okay. And, then, but, and I think many of us, we allow this resistance to distract us, to stop us. So can you speak about that resistance that we often fail and how to work with that? How do you face it? How do you work with it? And and, and what is your process for when you start writing? Well, so, so I think that earlier in my life, when I experienced that kind of resistance, it was because, um, not because it was difficult to write or difficult to, it was because, We've all been taught to have this quiet insistence that we control where this is going. And so half of my resistance and energy was always about I would start out and I would start out logically with an outline and then try to force the unforceable, fluid nature of life to fit my outline. And that is like pulling teeth. And so on the other side of, of, like I said, my cancer journey, and let me, let me start, stop for a second and then we'll go back to this more particularly. The, mm. One of the big changes for me was that before my cancer journey, I was a driven artist. I woke up mm. on the other side, blessed to still be here. And I lost my drive and it was very disorienting mm. and very scary because I thought, 
my gift was gone. I, I thought, wow, great, I'm here, but what, you know, what matters to me, where is it? And it took me several months, like six or eight months, to realize that it had just gone deeper. I was now drawn to things, not driven. And the mm. image is one of, you know, a river, a deep, fast river makes a lot of noise as it scours through the banks and the bottom. But when that river reaches the mouth of a sea, the, we, the current doesn't vanish. The current goes deeper and keeps going, but it joins the ocean and now it's quieter. And that's what happened to me mm-hmm. is my drive and, and had turned into where it was drawing me. And, and as I got acclimated to it, a couple of things happened that changed everything. One was, you know, uh, like most writers and artists in general, you know, I was taught be on the look for good material. You know, I'm always scouting yes. for good, good material. Well, you know, again, on the other side, I became aware that everything is miraculous and holy. I don't have to look for good material. I have to open my heart and being complete, give my full attention to whatever is before me and follow it. And anything is worth writing about because everything is miraculous and rich and interconnected. So, that changed everything. So I don't look for material. I'm more discovering things that are touching and seem profound to me and then looking for the connections they already have with other life. So it's more of being a discoverer than an inventor. And so this has changed everything. You know, as I was became acclimated to that approach to to writing, yes. then that res- that resistance started to vanish because, and, and it really is, you know, the way that I write really now and have been for years is mm. I'm a constant scribbler. I'm a, you know, I mean, I use all forms of technology. I use, I, you know, I dictate, I use the computer, but I, under it all, I'm a scribbler. And so I've been mm. blessed to have a very, almost I'd say photographic memory, but I, whenever I'm encounter anything, whether it's an image, a question, a piece of dialogue, something out on the street that touches me. It's not, I don't understand it, but as long as my heart Geiger counter goes off, I take it down and I do so immediately, not because I'll forget it because I have a good memory, but because if I don't take Mm. it down right away, it'll later on, it will be a mental silhouette. It won't be three dimensional. It won't have the feeling and so what I wind up doing is I will, I, you know, every couple of days or once a week, I will take all these fragments and I have a folder on my computer for each building book. I work on many books at yes. the same time. And, and so I tell myself once a week, okay, not tomorrow. If all I have is today, where do these fragments, where do they belong? And I just put them mm. somewhere and then when I go to finally look at the book, it's like that folder is like a pouch I dump out of all the shells I've collected while walking on the shore. Mm-hmm. And every one of them unto themselves is whole and vibrating and three-dimensional. And now I listen to what they say to me. I don't maneuver them. I say, what, what is it that, you're saying to me, how do you go together? Maybe they will, I'll need, maybe they'll form a constellation that I need to write my way from one to the other. Maybe they all point to something I haven't even written yet, but I keep pursuing and teasing out and discovering the connections. And then eventually they organically give me an outline that is the book. Oh, and that's a that. much happier that's a much happier process <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I really like like what you're saying about uh, you know giving up control in terms of where it's going uh, I think that's a really beautiful way of creating and opening and listening to what these pieces of information are saying to you then yeah then I really get it it's organic rather than trying to 
from yeah, the ego and, and force right. something to be. Yes, and and so forcing you it. know, writing has really become listening and taking notes, and oh. discovering what I didn't know I knew, and that's been one of the keys to my being prolific. You know, this book is my twenty-first book, which seems crazy to wow. me. I never beyond any yeah. dream I ever. Hubert asked me ten years ago. Well, I didn't even think that way. I mean, I didn't have a dream of a, you know, I mean, I didn't even, I don't think that way. But so this is just, mm. uh, you know, uh, uh, amazing to me. And and so the the beauty is that not one of those books, when I look back, has ever, the book that was finally retrieved, I say, rather than authored, um, was not the book I started. Not one. Mm. And this mm. is one of the mm. hardest things to teach to teach young writers and, and me too, when I was young, you know, I, I wouldn't have heard it. Mm. And that is, you know, it's understandable when we're young and we're starting out and we have a vision. Oh my God, that's an amazing thing. You've got a vision for something. Yeah. And so, yeah, my God. So we want to try to bring it into being, you know, all with good intention and we're, and then when it doesn't cooperate because it has a right. life of its own, then we right. think if we didn't, right hit what we aimed, we failed. Mm-hmm. Did I hear you say that like not one of the books that you started <laughs> ended up what you, what you thought? Right. Did I hear that correctly? Like, yes. Not one of them? Not one of that them is a wound up. <laughs> <laughs> they, they all, be, so then, you know, as, after a while, I start to see mm-hmm. my, it doesn't mean, you know, Churchill was the Winston Churchill said planning is essential, but plans are useless. And this is what Mm. I think he, you know, he meant like the plans. I have plans for books. I have ideas. I have visions. Yes. But they are just the threshold. I've learned they are just the threshold so that once Mm. I get in, and this is the thing that's hard to teach young writers, that once the material comes alive and it's uh, it's almost as if it's listening and goes now that i see you're serious hang on i'm going to mm. show you what this is really about and now it's just uh, taking right, off right, right. and we're not yes. failing we're just we're just getting going mm. it's like the spirit of the book you know the soul of the book finally came alive and it's now because we're we're available to it it's almost like it's ready to reveal itself to us, is what I'm hearing. Yes, uh, I actually I, had you know, that. I, 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 yeah, you had that experience. Yeah, I had that experience because uh, I won't go into too much detail now. But you know, I'm, I'm in the process of my second book and put together a proposal. And honestly, Mark, I, I started out with this whole idea of what I thought this book was gonna be, and it was gonna be this thing. And then through the process of writing the proposal, it turned out to be, I couldn't have even, I mean, I couldn't have even guessed that this is what the book was going to be that I ended up, you know, selling. And now as I begin really writing the book, I have a feeling it's going to take on a whole nother, uh, you know, element of revealing itself to me. So it's really great to know. The, the, let me ask you, the, the, the voice, like, yeah, go for, ahead. The, for, those, for, for those that may be, let's say, you know, as they sit down to create, I think one of the things that can sometimes be a block to writing, to creating anything, is the sort of voices in one's mind. And uh, voices as in judgments, you know. And so, uh, how to deal with those judgments? Oh, this isn't good enough. Oh, this is, eh, you know. The, 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 well, the, maybe I they're not even our own yeah. voices sometimes. Well, this is, you know, this is a struggle that all, whether we're writers or not, all human beings have in, in the process of our individuation, we have to silence the inner critic. And sometimes often that inner critic is installed and empowered through parents, through negative experiences. And we do a good job of keeping them alive and in keeping them going, you know, and it's rock history. They've been known by different names. You know, Borges, the great Argentinian writer, he, he called the inner critic, the watcher, that this is the, the kind of the liability of self-consciousness is that we're always, is a part of us always watching. And I think that, that, you know, what, there's a great story, an old Zen story about a master calligrapher 
um, his student, who has now become a teacher in his own right, and the master is asked to design the gateway to the city of Kyoto. And once he designs it, it will be wrought in iron. And so he, he has his student-turned-teacher come with him. And so they have all this paper out, and, and he, he closes his eyes, and he does this beautiful, in, in just you know one or two strokes, this beautiful design. And his student behind him looks over his shoulder. He goes, ah, too big. So the master tries it again and looks over his shoulder, and the student goes, too small. So they do this several times, and finally they get ready to break for lunch, and the master says, you go ahead, I'll, I'll just clean up here. I'll be along in a few minutes. And once his student turned critic, is out of sight, he closes his eyes, and without even thinking, he creates the design that is then finished and becomes the gateway to Kyoto. And the power of this old, old story is that teacher taught that student to be that critical. <laughs> it came back to bite him. <laughs> yeah. You know, we teach that part of us and that, and, and there's certainly we can improve, but the proper place of improvement has to do with getting closer and closer to the original vision and the truth, not to some form of perfection. So, we, what empowers the critic is that part in us that says you're doing it wrong. You've made a mistake. And that's really, we over-empower because it's not about, you know, this is, here's a word definition, the origin, that really is a fork in the road in 2,000 years of education. The word perfect, originally, mm. if we go back to the Aramaic, does not mean without flaws or without mistakes. The word perfect originally means thorough. So Mm. the reward for thoroughness is being wholehearted. Actually, if we try to be perfect, which we can't, we isolate ourselves from experience. So the proper, you know, Mm. the the proper, again, use of, you know, it was um, St. Francis of Assisi had this beautiful... uh, image, he said that the fairest branch on the tree of reason is discernment. The fairest fruit of the branch is reverence, not judgment. Mm. So the real, when we're discerning, it leads us more deeply into source, not into criticism, not into judgment. And so I think, you know, one of the ways to silence our inner critic is to accept that whatever, if we give our whole heart to something right now, this minute, not tomorrow, not later today, then whatever comes from our heart will be more than enough. Can we fine tune it? Can we accentuate it? Can can we polish it to be more clear? Yes. But Yes. You know, under the under the critic is the Cinderella complex. Like, oh, we're gonna I'm gonna be discovered for a fraud. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna mm. just melt like the Wicked Witch of the West in, in Wizard of Oz. You know, I'm gonna turn mm. into a pumpkin. No, no. You know, after a while, we have to accept our substance and our foundation, and actually. This is another thing that's helped me tremendously through the years. You know, when I was young, I would, you know, I'd see something and I'd try to write a poem. I'd have a vision of something and I'd try to write it with words. And I wouldn't get it. And I'd try again and I wouldn't get it. I'd try it five, six times. And I'd say, why can't I? I can see it. Why can't I say it? And I would feel mm-hmm. frustrated. But along the way, I've come to understand that the only things worth writing about or saying are the things that are unsayable and the great, so we're never going to reach it. And the great gift of it is now when I write five, six poems, trying to say something I see or feel, I go, thank, isn't, I'm so thankful. Look at all the poems that beautiful, ineffable feeling gave me. It doesn't matter that I didn't get it. 
Look at look at all the fruit that came from shaking that tree. <laughs> so the, the the process, the experience. Mm. Are there any things that you you do, uh, Mark, when let's say to to get yourself into an, to get yourself into that open zone, to be able to be receptive, well, to to get yourself out of the way, so to speak. Are there any things that you yeah. you do to cultivate to cultivate that connection of receptivity? Well, I think that you know what I've always done before I ever learned what meditation was. I think I was doing that, but instead, you know, in most in all the meditation traditions, we're asked to drop our thoughts and everything in our and I just always naturally I get there and I just take notes. So I I think, you know, the biggest thing is to be still and try to arrive at a place where I'm in time, not moving through time, where that sense when it's timeless, you know, when, when and following whatever, like if, you know, if I'm out, you know, I mean, I try to, I always start in my study every day, but if I'm out, you know, traveling or doing errands, because I travel a lot, I teach a lot and speak and and I see some, you know, a moment, you know, I see yes. a piece of light go off of a piece of broken glass in an alley when I'm in Seattle. Well, if I have time, I I don't just note that. I go, I follow it. I go look at it. I go, go there. And then I, and I try to stay there enough so that that moment opens. The same thing, if it's not, I'm traveling, if I'm here, I try to stay you know, still enough, quiet enough until everything start until I start to feel that throb of the universe. And now if I then I'm in I'm open enough that I can receive and see the connections and things. And then through any detail we can pull into view the universal fabric. It might be a story, it might be a feeling, it might be an image, it might be a question. But as long as it has that sense of authentic vibrancy, we can trust it. We can trust it. And I think some of the things, you know, we, this is a thing I've learned um, through the years, is that whenever I count or compare... I can't be present. Whether it's up or you down, whenever I count, yeah. Tell me about whenever what you mean I by count. count. Well, I mean, I count that how many pages I'm writing today, or I count mm. how, uh, or compare is this better than I did yesterday, or compare to others, up or down. Wow. Oh, it's not. It's wow. not as good. I wish I could write like this. I, it's not as good. As soon as I am counting or comparing, I'm I'm no longer present. And so the, you know, we're human, so we will count and compare. That's not the the question. Is not to eliminate it. The question is to recognize it, so we can course correct. So I can drop it. So I can drop it and return to being present because without being present, none of it's possible. And often if I'm yes. counting and comparing, I, we all know this, if we count and compare, we think if I go, especially if we're feeling bereft or less than, I think if I count, if I count or compare one more time, maybe I'll feel better about it. Well, first off, mm. it never works. And second off, mm. it's nothing, it'll only get worse until I drop it and go back to being mm. present and holding nothing back. You know, I have a short poem that's called Practicing, and it goes, it goes like this, Practicing. As a man in his last breath drops all he is carrying, each breath is a little death that can set us free. Mm. Wow. And so we are, ch yeah, we are challenged Right when it feels like we can't drop it, that's when we're asked to drop it. Whatever it is, just drop it. And be present again. 
Mm. I love it. In terms of being present, um, I'm curious, because still for me, I'm wondering how it might connect to you with creativity. How much of your life do you, at this stage, plan? You know, as you're, because to me, I feel like creativity is that discovery, is being in the moment, is, 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 Flow, being in that flow. And so do you plan much in your life? Let's say, let's take, break it down. Let's say your day. You, you know, today we have to be on a call. How much do you plan your day? How much your day structured? How much your week structured? Your month? Your year? Yeah. Uh, goals? Also, also, let's say, you, you know, you, you have a new book out, you know, drinking from the river of light. Do you, do, do you your team, do you plan? Like, okay, we, here's our objectives for this book. And, Okay, I've done the creative part, but we want to sell this book, and you know we want to sell a hundred thousand copies or however many copies. And that New York Times bestseller, how much do you put into place in terms of outcomes? Because I'm wondering how that interlaces or can affect creativity and the relationship with planning and goals. Well, and I, yeah. So, so honestly, let, let's start with the last thing you said and move backwards. So. Honestly, you know, I don't put a lot of effort into what happens with the books. I mean, I put a lot of, you know, my life as a teacher is is as important to me as my life as a writer, which is really my life as a student. And so I, you know, I'm on the road a couple of times a month for probably 10 months of the year. And so the book is out there as I do that. I do a lot of interviews. I do things that are all based on relationship. But beyond that, mm. I don't, I don't do very much. And uh, because I believe like it, you know, books like children will have, they have a life of their own and, um, and it's beyond my control. And so this gets to the heart, which is one of the chapters in the book um, about giving attention versus getting attention. And, you know, in the world of circumstance, we have to do some effort to, you know, in any field to get attention so we can, you know, survive or get a book, get a publisher to even look at a book or all of that. But that's secondary. And we mm. always, I feel, have to keep it secondary because Giving attention is what gives us life. Giving, you know, when I, I started writing, when I look back as a young man, you know, because I wanted to keep the wonder in view a little longer. I saw something. I felt something. I said, wait a minute. Don't, don't. The moment's going. I, wait, I, did, I barely understood it. Wait, don't go. And so I would try to write to keep it in view a little longer. And so when we recognize and verify, when we give attention, it brings us alive and it brings us closer to life. When we, when we, when we want to be recognized and verified and we make getting attention, number one, yeah. it's life draining. It's life draining. So, you know, it's interesting that we live in a reality TV culture over the last 25 years yes. where we, we ache for celebrity uh, when we're really aching for something to celebrate, you know, mm. and if we, if we, we have to be aware of the balance of, you know, we, we get attention only the way that we fill out a resume or a job application or um, mm -hmm. it's a necessary thing, but it's not where our worth and aliveness are derived. And mm. if we, Slip into putting that first, uh, and my experience in my life has been it becomes life draining. It becomes mm -hmm. life draining and not affirming. So, 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 so to back into like planning, you know, I'm, I, I structure my days loosely so that within the structure I can drift. You know, um, certain, certainly I travel, you know, like when I'm traveling, my, you know, my days are structured around teaching or speaking. Um, but, you know, I do like I have a couple of months a year, January and February, usually where I'm mostly home. 
And that's when I do the, mm. like, the large, like, construction site work on books. You know, when I've seen enough wow. or I know wow. what it's telling me organically, then I try to figure it out and do, the you know, the the tedious work mm. of, uh, it, once I've seen from what we mentioned earlier what the organic structure is, then I start moving everything around and I start creating, you know, the files and the folders and creating, you know, so I do all of that stuff so that when I'm traveling, I can take a piece with mm. me and, and get lost in it. But in my home life, you know, I usually uh, pretty much, you know, I'm, I'm up in the morning and I'm in my study with my dog <laughs> and uh, my wife's mm-hmm. a potter. So she she's usually out in the studio, although she's a night person, I'm a morning person. So I'm always, you know, first things I do is, take care of our dog and make coffee for my wife, Susan. And uh, always the first thing is open the blinds because I always symbolically, the first thing I want to do every day is let light in. That's the very first thing. And, uh, and then, you know, I go up and I get in that space and I listen. And some days, you know, I might, uh, you know, things might flow and other days I might not, I might not write a word for a few hours, but wow. now wow. later in life, you know, when I was younger, that would make me anxious, you know, and mm-hmm. I would start watching myself and then I would start labeling that as being blocked. But, and, but yes. I don't do that now, you know, now I'm in that space. It's working me, whether it's slowly or quickly. And, um, mm. yeah. And, you know, there's a, and, and so a great story, I include this in the book, you know, E.E. E. Cummings, uh, who he would write, he would go down after having breakfast with his wife and he'd go down to his study and then she'd make lunch and call him up. And one day he went down and she called him up for lunch after three hours down there. And he was walking up the stairs with this big smile on his face. She said, well, how was your morning? He said, oh, wonderful. And she said, well, what did you do? <laughs> he said, well, after breakfast, I took a comma out. And just now I put it back in. (laughs) And I don't think that's about obsession. I don't think that's about perfectionism. I think that's being, being in the process, being in time. Yes. Yes. Oh, I love hearing that. So let's say now, you put your book out or you've now written something you've written this how do you how do you define success how do you define the success of your work do you define the success of your work is there a a way you say yes this is this is successful because a lot of people will well, define I- Success based on, yeah. you know, oh, the book is sold. It's become a New York Times bestseller, or it hasn't become. And so what's your relationship to that? Well, honestly, you know, um, the book is a success if I have mm. faithfully retrieved it uh, and, and, and the entire book, there has not been one lapse in it coming from my heart. And then it's a success, whether it's published or not. So it's a success to me if that happens, whether it's published or not. I, you know, I, I'm happy that it's published and creating that, that physical thing, you know, like this book is beautiful. I'm so thankful. Um, it, you know, yes. the cover's amazing. Um, and, so then, you know, to hold it in my hand, but, you know, the, the truth is that, um, and, you know, and then to, if I can be, you know, a measure of success then is if it reaches someone like you or anyone else and, you know, we, you have been touched by a common, you know, it's almost like, you know, like I've left I feel like I'm an inner explorer and the, the, the books are like guide maps to certain trails, <laughs> in, inner trails. And if, if this causes you to take your own journey down a trail and you experience something and, and I can feel that or you can 
you know, I somehow get that, know that that happened for you, that's success. That's success. It has nothing to do, quite honestly, with whether it sells or not. Yes, it's, you know, am I happy if it sells a lot? Sure. Am I, you know, disappointed if it doesn't? Sure. But that's not why I do it. And that's not what keeps me, you know, going. I mean, early on in my, in my life, and this is these are archetypal positions, you know, there's a, there's a struggle either way. When when I was young, and you know, it's interesting. My first book wasn't published until I was right and smack in the middle of my cancer journey. I was in the hospital, mm. about to have a rib, a rib removed from my back, when I got wow. word that my first two books, actually, by two different publishers, were accepted. And you know, I had so desperately wanted, like any young writer, my work published. Well, I was happy, but it didn't mean the same thing. You know, <laughs> uh, it didn't mean the same thing. And because I was just, I was just wanting to get to tomorrow. And so, you know, writing or creating when you're not known or published or in the public, um, it's like, uh, you know, then the challenge is not to fall into the clasp of that voice that says, oh, does it matter? Is anything I do, I'm not visible, am I heard? I mean, those are all yeah. real things, but they don't have anything to do with the work. And so working in that position is like, is like walking into a strong wind in front of you. You have to lean a little forward, but you still plant your feet and you take one solid step at a time. And then, you know, Later in life, I've been blessed to have some attention to my work, and I don't take that, I don't ever take that for granted. But you know, I'm very grateful and blessed with it. And, um, mm. but you know what? It's like, okay, now the wind is at my back. And what do you do? Well, instead of leaning forward, you've got to lean back a little, and you still have to plant your foot solidly. Mm-hmm. and keep going forward. And yes. while either one, quite honestly, you know, don't have anything to do with with the source of the work. And, um, you know, it's a blessing because having attention has enabled me to to have so many opportunities to be with people like you and other people. And I just got back mm-hmm. from teaching a week in California with an amazing group of souls. And so it's not like, you know, we're taught that success is climbing a hill until we get to the top. Well, I think I've learned through, through, you know, almost dying and still being here that that's, that's not true. It's all flat. Mm. We're all the same six inches from heaven and from the gutter. And if anything, the kind of attention that I've been blessed to have. It's like dropping rain into a lake. It ripples. And I'm blessed to have all these ripples where I can meet wonderful people and I get to keep doing this and have conversations like this with you. Beautiful. How how do you, you know, sometimes I see artists, um, let's say a musician, for instance, and maybe there's musicians listening, but, but like I sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll see some musicians or artists and they'll have, they'll achieve a certain level of uh, success by the world standards, you know, uh, notoriety, record sales, sales in some way. And, uh, and, and all of the work you could say sounds the same. And so they, they, they've kind of found the formula, right? They found the groove Oh, this work. It sells people like it. It gets reinforced. So they get kind of maybe caught up in this trap of, in quotation marks, success. And they just keep doing that for 5, 10, 15, 20, however many years. But maybe they're not, they get comfortable. They're not growing anymore. Yeah. Uh, can, can you speak a bit about, like, how, how can we avoid that trap of getting comfortable? Because I think it can be very seductive to do what's working because it's working and the world reinforces us for that. And so we keep doing it. And 
and how do we feel into how do we really feel into well, it? Well, I think that I think that this uh, this has to do edge. yeah, I think this has to do more deeply for me with where and how do we sustain our inner authority of being. And by that I mean mm. our connection mm. to life itself because our being gathers its strength and fortitude from the well of all being. And so when I am not connected to that source of being, then I am more, I'm out of balance and I'm more susceptible that if you say you like something, then I lean toward that. If somebody else says, mm. what, you know, why don't you do this? Then I lean toward that because I'm no, I'm no longer rooted. And so that's, I think the base of that seduction. And I think that to return to doing the inner work, to being as alive as possible, you know, the, the, I feel like the soul's purpose is to be as alive as possible. And we, it will, it will ask us to do a great many things to stay as alive as possible. And like earlier we were saying, the result of that kind of heat is it'll give off warmth and light. And so our gifts Mm. will serve others. And when we can be as fully alive as possible. So I think, you know, there's some courageous examples and a great one is uh, I, I talk about in the book, Albert Schweitzer and You know, Albert Schweitzer, before he became who we knew him to be as this famous humanitarian who started at a hospital in Africa, Albert Schweitzer was a tenured professor of philosophy at the University of Vienna. He was about 40 years old, late 30s, almost 40. And uh, he was also a world-class classical organist who in his spare time would hold sold-out concerts around Europe. So. He had, he had it made. And then all of a sudden he had mm. this vision that he was supposed to start a hospital in Africa. There's only one problem. He wasn't a doctor. So he started asking his, mm. his respected friends and colleagues. He said, I think I'm supposed to do this. What do you think? And they just like you were raising in this, you know, this situation, they all said, are you nuts? You got it made. Forget mm. about this. Go back. Mm. You, you know, what are you kidding? And then he listened to everybody respectfully mm. And then he resigned and went to medical school and became Albert Schweitzer. Mm. And so I think it takes, uh, and it's not about always leaving. I mean, we can do the same thing over and over and over. You know, if, uh, you know, Picasso was asked, how did he move in periods of his work? He said, I just paint green until I have indigestion of green. (laughs) 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 so it's not about change or same it's about being truthful to our aliveness and that's you know what guides us regardless of what anybody anybody says and that Mm. takes um, that takes steadfastness to Mm -hmm. and and we're not exempt from, from all the mood you know so if someone, you know, all of what I'm talking, I believe this deeply, but no, if someone rejects me, it hurts, of course. If someone doesn't get what I'm saying, it's disappointing or frustrating. But those are feelings that move through, not codes to live by. Mm, I love that. Those feelings that move feelings. Mm. Yes. You know, Rilke, one of, I use this in another book, one of the many things Rilke said that is just, you know, fantastic is he said, let everything happen, beauty and terror. No one feeling is final. Keep going. Mm. And so we're not exempt from this, the whole spectrum of human moods, but they're to be felt, not obeyed. Mm. So I feel, I can feel disappointment. I can feel rejection. I can feel frustration at not being heard or, uh, but that's to be felt and not obeyed and then listened to 
are set up as a world view or a value mm. Mm. to be sought after. Mm. Beautiful. And I think Beautiful. I think this is relevant whether you're an artist or not. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love what you said for me. What what, what struck me early on a few seconds ago was this this line: the soul's purpose is to be as alive as possible. I mean that something to meditate on right there. And so folks, if you're listening in, as you're listening to this, this beautiful conversation with, with Mark Nepo, author of Drinking from the River of Light, just meditate on what, 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 what gives you, what, what makes you alive? Feel what, am I feeling alive in this moment? What is aliveness? It's just a beautiful consideration. I have a couple more uh, quick questions, Mark. And sure. Again, it's been beautiful sharing with you and, and exploring the whole topic oh, of creativity. This is it's, it's still connected to creativity, but but let's say you know an expression. Um, that's okay. Let's say you're out there now promoting your book, or you know on a on a podcast, or a, you know Super Soul Sunday with Oprah, right, or or, or whatever <laughs> the venue, you know, doing your interview, and and so. I'm curious because I think many people face this thing when they let they meet someone like an Oprah or a powerful person or a celebrity. You know, you're talking about celebrity earlier. How we're so starstruck and you know striving to be celebrities in our culture today. And I think many times people lose their center in some way when they meet someone like an Oprah or someone like a you know fill in the blank whoever. And so when you uh, so there's the actual writing of your work, but now let's say when you're sharing, when you're being interviewed by someone like an Oprah, uh, how do you stay, how do you, or, or is there anything you do to stay centered, to stay yeah, yeah. So let me, authentic in your expression, you know? Yeah, yeah. So two things come to heart here to, to share. One is about Oprah. You know, when I, and I have been blessed to be interviewed by her several times, but when you know, I was interviewed for Super Soul Sunday, and this was out in Maui at her uh, place in Maui, and before we started, and this is because she is so genuine and and uh, and and just such a, a generous spirit. So before we started, before we sat down, she pulled me aside and she said, this is your time. I don't want you to leave anything unsaid that's on your heart. Mm. And so the first thing is, you know, someone like that, you know, that was such a heartfelt invitation. I believed her. You know, she opened the door. Mm. And and, mm. and then I felt like our conversation was not an interview, but a deep conversation like we're having. And, yeah. and the other is that in terms of, perform in terms of like speaking in public or you know the, the kind of thing you're talking about yeah. i've always felt i've learned along the way that it's about presence and not performance and you know it's about being you know like you know especially like i've been on you know like tv interviews and things like that and they're only like four minutes or something you know and and it's like you can get all worked up about, oh, I want to make sure I say, I, I, I use the four minutes, I say the right thing. And, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's like if I, if you hear a bird singing, do you really care which notes mm. it sings? It's about mm. presence. It's mm. about being, just being, you know, hopefully there's no difference being there than there is being here. Um, or when mm. I'm sitting at home with my wife. And um, I think, you know, one of my uh, friends and mentors is a real model of that, Parker Palmer, who's a great visionary educator. He's 80 now. and um, But Parker, I was, I've was i always respected and been a Parker would be, he could speak in front of a thousand people or sit at the table with coffee with you and there'd be no difference. There'd be mm. absolutely no difference. And that was, that's always been a model for me. And the other thing that I always do, whether every, whether, wherever I speak or teach, is I always want to visit the space when it's empty before everyone arrives so that I can make my own connection to source and I can invoke 
the best of the time that will be coming for everyone who comes into that mm. space. And then I feel like I'm inviting people in when people come, whether it is 20 or a thousand, then I feel like I'm inviting people into that sacred space, not like I'm entering a public space. Love it. I love it. You know, uh, Mark, I feel like we could, <laughs> once again, we could just keep talking forever. Uh, I have one final question. Uh, sure. We're going to have to do a part three at some point here, but uh, one final question. Sure. Uh, you know, <laughs> if you were to, if you were to give a, let's say, a final piece of advice to the artists out there, I mean, to everyone, because I think we all have uh, the creative nature inside of us. But if you were to look back on your life as a creator, as a writer, as a poet, as an artist, if there was a piece of advice that you wished, that you knew in the beginning of your writing an artistic journey that you would, that you wished you had known you know, when you first began, uh, however many years ago, that you'd like to maybe pass on to, to the aspiring writers yeah. and those that are artists out there. Like, what did you wish you knew as an artist, from artist to artist, writer to writer? What, would you, what could you yeah, I share think, with us? I think that the most important thing for me is to, I would encourage people to, to follow your heart, to listen with your heart, and this is the important part, beyond what you understand, you know, that my heart, I, I, I mean, the reason that I'm prolific is because I write about what I don't know, what I need to know. And that has led me on most amazing journeys. And so, you know, to listen where, where, where the heart tells me this is true. I don't really know why I'm being asked to pay attention to this. I don't know yet what it means but to stay with it because something in your heart tells you it's true because then you're beginning a conversation with life. And when we give that attention, because despite, you know, I love technology, I love everything, but things that matter still take time. And often it's, it's our staying in conversation through our heart where our heart leads us to look listen and stay there long enough so, so you can hear what's being said. Just digesting, Mark. Digesting. Mark, I want to just thank you for just, you know, being so generous and accepting the invitation to come back a second time. I'm really excited and finishing and diving into the rest of your book folks mark has a new book out uh, drinking from the river of light the life of expression sharing about creativity and expression and being authentic it's it's a beautiful book if you haven't checked it out it's available on amazon and Barnes and noble all the, the booksellers highly advise it i know uh, we put in the show notes last time mark's website marknepo.com you can go there, find out more about Mark's work. And I uh, was told that he has many amazing retreats and events uh, coming up in the next year. So if, there's, if you feel inspired by this two-part uh, series on Soul Talk, definitely check out Mark's website. Check out his spiritual journeys that he has coming up in 2020. Uh, I'm seeing a, a weekend retreat, six-day deep dive, a year-long uh, journey of a full weekend. So you can find out all the info at markmeeple.com. Folks, check him out. He's a, such a beautiful soul and a light on the path. Mark, thank you so much. Is there anything else you, you feel the audience needs to know? Or, or oh, way that, oh. Uh, they want to... I just, I mean, I just want to affirm for everyone to never, never doubt your direct connection with life. Just mm. never doubt it. Mm. Yeah, it will. It will. It, the heart will always serve us in restoring that and and illuminating uh, <clears throat> us through it. Powerful, powerful. Folks, you heard it. Never doubt the direct connection. 
the life to source. Folks, I told you this was going to be a, a special bonus interview. I trust you feel inspired, you're feeling, you know, activated and your creative juices are flowing. Uh, always love hearing from, from, from many of you. Uh, thank you for taking the time to write in. You can email me, cootblackson at cootblackson.com. We'd love to hear your inspirations, your takeaways from today's special episode. Please do share this with your friends, part one and part two, with the amazing Mark, Mark Nepo. Um, share it on social media. Check out Mark's book. And I can't wait to connect with you all next week on Soul Talk. Much love, everyone. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.